Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, as always, joined by Paul Tenorio. Paul, how's it going tonight, man? Great. I mean, I think this is going to be our first episode officially where the podcast is searchable on the Athletic app, you know, live. So yeah. we're, we're, we're happy about that. I'm not sure it's live, but it will be searchable on the Athletic app. That's for sure. Um, and maybe I think we're going to stay in the Total Soccer Show feed on on your Apple podcasts and all of those other channels. So no need to switch up your listening habits. But if you are one of the people that listens through the athletic app, we do have our own feed in there and it will continue to be, um, a kind of a standalone thing. Um, not really a big deal at all, but just a little bit of tiny housekeeping to get to before we dive into the show. And it should be a pretty, uh, pretty packed show this evening, Paul, we are coming to you as always on Thursday night. Um, Orlando just beat Minnesota two to one to advance to the MLS's back final next Tuesday against the Portland Timbers. Uh, so Orlando, you know, the host, quote unquote, um, taking on the Timbers in a final in a match that I don't think a single person in their right mind would have predicted before the start of this tournament. Um, but Paul, you know, you were kind of riding that Orlando train and MLS upside down and. You know, you you were you were the guy filling out four different entirely different brackets, and I think Orlando had you had Orlando in one of them. So, you know, I guess if you want to take a victory lap, you can sure. go ahead. Sure, I'll do so. First of all, it was three to one. It was three to one. Don't forget the last goal. Ah, uh, yeah, the, the late consolation goal. It is late. Forgive me, but I, I I will take a victory lap because you so clearly despise giving me credit for the MLS upside down voicing it into fruition. Well, I'm just saying you weren't consistent. And you, you, weren't you consistent. know, you also, you didn't like Nani at all. You kept bashing him and that's not true. I don't know. We'll have to, I guess someone will have to go back to the tape to figure out, you know, how serious was my initial prediction? Did you ever bash Nani? They'll have to look back at the tape themselves, but in all seriousness, Don't gaslight me. no, no one would have, you're right. No one would have really seriously predicted Orlando city to be in the final. Um, certainly even when I kind of made the joke that the MLS's back tournament would be the MLS upside down where things, crazy things happen. And thus what would be one of the craziest things you could predict. And my answer to that was Orlando city winning it. And here we are in the final and Orlando city is playing for the win. And I think, you know, that does kind of, emphasize two things right one yes mls's back was totally nuts it was everything we expected from mls right i mean we talked about this before but cincinnati advanced and orlando city is in the final and um vancouver advanced as, as the probably the worst soccer team in the tournament and they advanced to the knockout stage um there was plenty not to like about the tournament as far as style of play and things like that in the group stage. But there was the entertainment value that MLS always provides. You know, they it, there are games where unpredictable things happen, where the goals can be ridiculous, and yet you're still having fun watching the game. I think San Jose Vancouver is probably the best example of that in this tournament. Um, and that's just part of what MLS is all about. Uh, I think also it shows that ML that Orlando City is making legitimate progress under Oscar Pereja. And I think, you know, when I looked at the semifinals of this tournament, I felt like there were three teams, three out of the four teams that kind of really needed this tournament in order to, 
I, I think, prove something about their identity. You know, Philadelphia, Orlando, and Minnesota are all trying to show that they are legit and to, um, you know, make a statement about the progress that they've made. Um, the two teams that maybe have come the closest, you know, have fallen short before, you know, in, in the same tournament, Philadelphia and Minnesota, you know, both have gone deep into the U S open cup, Minnesota losing in the final last year, Philadelphia has, has advanced deep into the tournament in multiple years in, in the recent past and haven't been able to win. Um, and Orlando City kind of comes out of nowhere, embraces the heck out of this tournament, you know, has a blast inside of the bubble, and now has a chance to put a trophy um, in the cabinet against a, a Portland Timbers And there team. is a trophy. Yeah, well, there you go. Sam, breaking There news. is a physical trophy, according to a league spokesperson who I spoke to earlier this week about. I don't know what it looks like, but there is a trophy, from what I was told. I hope it's just a crystal version of Nani. Like a crystal version of Nani curling a, a goal past Tyler Miller. I just hope it's like, uh, I hope there's something to do with Mickey Mouse. There's got to be some mouse imagery in this. You know, Disney, Orlando. Maybe they just give them all those mouse ears. Like 46 pairs of those to wear around on their heads. Um, and maybe that's the trophy. Um but yeah, anyway, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off about Orlando and we are going to talk about some other stuff this show, um, including the, the return to the regular season plan and letting fans into stadiums and all of that jazz. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, Orlando had a ton to gain and they took it seriously. And I thought Nani has been excellent all tournament. Um, I think he's really led that team in many ways with his mentality and his mindset. And um, damn, if he didn't score two great goals uh, in, in the semifinal win, uh, two very different goals, but two very great goals. Uh, and the guy still has tons and tons of quality. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the final. You know, I, I bagged on the quality of this tournament and the quality of play um, on this show, on Twitter, in print. Um, but I think it's gotten better, particularly in the later stages. I think we've seen some really good moments, um, from a few different teams. Um, I thought the game tonight was decent. Um, and I'm expecting more of the same on Tuesday night between Portland and Orlando. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, Sam, we've talked to different people about the value of this tournament and certainly on this show and in our reporting, we've, uh, you know, written about the give and take, the positives and negatives of putting on this tournament, the the negatives of the early days of the tournament when, you know, both Nashville and FC Dallas had enough positives on their team that they had to uh, withdraw from the tournament. We've talked about the positives of the last couple weeks when all of the tests have come back negative and this tournament has run fairly smoothly um, and the quality of play certainly has gotten better. I wonder from your perspective, do you think that it was worth it? Do you think this was the right decision to have this tournament? And um, do you think MLS got what they wanted out of out of MLS's back? Well, is it worth it? I mean, that's a hard question for me to answer. I, I think it feels dirty. I wrote that before this whole thing started. It still feels that way to me. You know, you're talking about an area of the country that has been hit incredibly hard by COVID um, and is still being hit pretty hard by COVID. And you're talking about a ton of tests um, going to MLS and the players and the staff 
Um, and you know, of course, like that's needed to do this safely. So I get it. Um, but is that the, is that the best use of resources? Uh, no, not really. Um, is that MLS's fault that they're taking up those resources? And what, if MLS wasn't taking them up, would they be going to the general public? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, just given how kind of this country works, I would hazard a guess that probably not. Um, so I don't know. The whole thing still feels dirty to me. I, I don't think you can brush past the facts about Dallas and Nashville and some of the mistakes that MLS made in regards to those teams. You know, Dallas being allowed to train after having positives upon arrival, Nashville being on the bus at the airport um, when they didn't know if they had positives or not and they were waiting follow-up tests and then eventually leaving. Um, so yeah, there, there were some errors and I, th and I think that's understandable, right? There was no blueprint for this. MLS was flying in the dark. There were going to be some mistakes made and unfortunately those were potentially costly. Um, do I think it was a success? I mean, when you approach the tournament with that kind of lens, it's hard to say it's a success. I think if you, you know, are approaching it from just kind of, you know, from putting on the hat of an MLS team owner, then yeah, they're probably pretty pleased with this. Uh, the bubble did, did hold pretty well. Like it's pretty accepted that Dallas and Nashville most likely brought in all their positive results with them. Um, and nobody else was significantly affected. Um, so the bubble held pretty well. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, uh, the league and its owners clawed back a bunch of sponsorship revenue and made their broadcast partners happy. And so for them, it's success, right? And, and they got a ton of eyeballs for them. I shouldn't say a ton of eyeballs. They got a lot of eyeballs on their products. Um, I don't think the product was necessarily as good as it usually is. Um, but you know, they, they got the season back going uh, and they did it relatively safely. So from that, from that perspective, I guess it's sort of successful, but my overall take is like, even if you pulled this off relatively well, which I think MLS pulled it off relatively well, it, it's not the smash that the league wants to portray it as. Cause you did have two teams leave. Um, but even with the relative success that they did have, um, I just really can't get past the fact that it doesn't really seem that, this is something that should be occurring right now. Um, but that goes kind of for all sports. Um, so I don't know. That's just my, my general opinion. People will disagree with that. That's fine. Um, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's weird because the way we measure these types of competitions is kind of changing along with our reality in the COVID era, right? I mean, this, like you said, there's no blueprint for this. We're all getting used to new lives and, um, new ways to live, right? Uh, we, we've all had to adjust our um, daily existence. And that adjustment has been extended on multiple occasions uh, in this country, partly because of government response or lack thereof, and certainly of the continued spike in numbers um, in this country. In number of cases, we're seeing the number of deaths go up, the number of hospitalizations go up. And as a result of that, um, you know, we have to acknowledge that the reality for sports in this country is different than it is in Germany or England, where they've been able to continue games and continue their seasons in in, in empty stadiums and, and kind of put together successful seasons. We'll see Champions League beginning tomorrow and you know, those games will be back and people will celebrate that. 
but the reality is is much different in Europe than it is here. And and so I look at the bubble and the success of the bubble and the precedent that it set, right, that allowed the NBA to do it um, and learn from it and adjust and make sure it had enough of a window ahead of the start of games to avoid some of the problems that MLS had to face. And that, that's how this is going to happen, right? Like you learn, in theory, you learn from each other and you improve upon that. And yet, you know, I look at, okay, so the bubble worked and it worked well. And, you know, in retrospect, would they have allowed for a longer window before the game started to, you know, to have teams self-isolate, to to make sure that they didn't have any spread within teams and that they were able to um, avoid teams getting withdrawn from the tournament? Yes. Now we transition to the next phase, and I know we're going to go much more in depth, but I, I think I kind of measure the success of this tournament against what comes next for Orlando City. And so I think the bubble has proved has proven to be a more successful model for this country than has play in stadiums and in around in and around the country. When you look at USL, when you look at Major League Baseball, I think it's pretty clear that this country is not ready yet for sports to happen in markets around the country. And yet that is where MLS is headed. And unlike Major League Baseball, which has struggled to um, to have games and it's had multiple cancellations, they're going to follow the U.S. model and they're going to put fans in the stands, which is absolutely nuts to me. So do I think yeah, that this and, bubble was a was um, a success? Sure. Do I think that it is, you know, should be considered a, a successful model compared to what comes next? Yeah, I think we'll probably look at the bubble as being a smarter decision than opening up stadiums and putting fans back in seats and playing games in front of fans in markets where the coronavirus continues to rage in the community. And on that cheerful note, uh, this is Taylor, and I'm going to interrupt to let you know that this episode of Allocation Disorder is brought to you by Artifact. We've talked about Artifact before. We're going to talk about them now. Artifact is a new company. They set you up with one of their professional interviewers to make a podcast episode about whatever you want. It could be one episode. It could be two. It could be as many as you're interested in commissioning. Uh, You could have Artifact capture your family history or talk about an individual moment in your life or even get insight into life. Uh, That's what I'm going to try to use it for. I'm, I'm commissioning one to discuss parenting since my wife and I are expecting a baby. I'd like to hear some people's thoughts on how to have a kid and how to keep that kid alive, since that seems fundamentally important. Uh, Daryl and I have also done artifacts for the show. There's a heyartifact.com slash TSS if you want to hear the origin story for the Total Zaka show. There's heyartifact.com slash Daryl, D-A-R-Y-L, if you want to hear about Daryl's diagnosis and treatment. It's Daryl and his wife talking about that. The basic way you can do it is you go to heyartifact.com. You tell them a few basic things about what you want it to be about, about the theme and the idea behind it. It, the, the mood you're going for, if you will. Uh, then you invite folks for interviews. The whole thing is super easy. It takes only a few minutes. You can go to heyartifact.com to hear some samples. And then when you're ready to make one of your own, you can use the code TSS to get $40 off your first one. That's heyartifact.com. Use code TSS to get $40 off your first artifact. Thank you very much to Artifacts for sponsoring this episode of Allocation Disorder. Now back to Paul and Sam. Before we close the book on this tournament, there is one game left. Um, the most important game. Um, how do you see things unfolding between the Timbers and, and Orlando City on Tuesday? 
I mean, we've been really bad at predicting these knockout games because MLS is so difficult <laughs> to predict. Um, I think, you know, look, Portland has, I think, the more talented roster top to bottom. They've had more time building their specific roster to a, a specific vision under Gavin Wilkinson. I think they've done a nice job in compiling talent from DPs through TAM players down into the depth of the roster. Um, and both Portland and Orlando have difference makers on the team. Portland probably have more difference makers, but I think Sebastian Blanco and Nani are the two candidates for MVP of the tournament going into the final. Um, I think Nani, for me, has been more valuable to his team than Blanco to his simply because of the the difference in talent on the rosters. I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I guess no, I would I predict. That, we can get into that another time. Yeah, I mean, I, again, we established on this show that you hate on Nani. Um, I mean, I'm just saying. Like you talk about the talent. Like Blanco has done it all for the Timbers. I think he's been involved in like eight of their twelve goals or something like that. So you know, it's that's pretty valuable. But I digress. Yeah, I mean, I think that interestingly enough, I think before the tournament, I would have said. No doubt Portland is among the teams that you'd expect to play in the final, and Orlando City is among the least likely to play in the final. The way that they've been playing going into this, I think it's close to a toss-up going into the final as to who's the favorite. I think in Vegas, Portland will definitely be the favorite. Um, And for that reason, maybe it's worth picking Orlando. They kind of got a little bit of a Team of Destiny vibe. Don't they? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm going to have a hard time picking against them. I do think it is kind of a toss-up myself as well. Um, you know, I think I think it's a pretty solid matchup, to be totally honest. Orlando's backline, I think, has outperformed expectations by a significant margin. Nani, we've talked about. He's been excellent. Mauricio Pereira, uh, he can do some things in the final third. He's, he's very technical, got a lot of quality. Um, Jackson Mendes... Uh, I think he's very underrated, Paul. I don't know how you feel about him, um, but I thought he was very good in the semifinal for Orlando. And, you know, on the other side of the coin, Diego Chara, excellent. We talked about Blanco, um, a few different options, striker and Ibo Bise and Yaroslav or Yarek uh, Niazgoda. Um, and, and and then Eric Williamson playing pretty well. Diego Valeri, um, you know, Dario Zuparic, newcomer on that back line, I think has looked pretty good. Um, so I think it'll be a pretty even, even matchup. I am curious to see how the Timbers approach it. It's very much been, you know, defensive posture and look to hit and transition through Blanco primarily. Um, you know, you talked about the roster, Paul. One thing that I think is interesting and that hasn't been talked about with the Timbers is Yimmy Chara. I, one of one of, if not the most expensive signing in club history, has done nothing for Portland so far. Um, not even really starting here lately. Um, you know, it's still early days for him in his Portland career. He just got there this year, so I'm not being too. Um, I don't want to be too harsh on the guy or anything like that. Uh, but you know, they're doing this essentially while getting nothing from him which is, I think, notable. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this matchup. I, I think I'm going to roll with Orlando, though, which is probably a kiss of death. So, sorry out there, Orlando fans. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see. I also am interested to see how the results from this tournament translate going forward into kind of a regular season format. Uh, 
I think the quality of Orlando's play is undeniable. Um, but it'll, it'll be something we haven't seen before, right? I mean, this is so bizarre to have kind of a mid season tournament knockout, a knockout style tournament, and then to very quickly pivot back into some version of a regular season that, you know, looks like according to, um, our reporting as well as our, our colleagues at the athletic and others, uh, in this, the soccer journalism business, you know, somewhat of a, a normal regular season, a condensed um, normal regular season with with charter flights in and out of different markets. Um, I think that'll be kind of an interesting thing to watch as well. You know, like how, are the teams who struggled in this tournament legitimately going to struggle in the season or, you know, were they just not prepared for this knockout? Are the teams who have been successful or who looked the best, Orlando or Columbus, are they going to be able to maintain that form as we transition into this regular season? Um, it, it'll be a really interesting part to uh, to watch. Yeah, and we'll learn more about that as the schedule comes out here um, officially over the coming days. I think it's going to be tough for the teams that make the final who have put a lot of energy, both physically and mentally, into this um, to go back and say, geez, in not even two weeks, um, pretty much no time off, just go straight back into it um, 10 days after the final or so, and then, you know, play six games in the course of three weeks. Um, so kind of a brutal schedule for them. I think that's going to be really tough to navigate. Um but it will be interesting. And then you throw in the wrinkle of Nashville and Dallas, which is a nice little transition into the next thing we wanted to talk about here, who have not played any games since March. Um, and they're going to be getting MLS is back is back or MLS colon still here. Um, whatever we end up calling it. Um, they're going to be getting it underway. Uh, next Wednesday is the plan in Frisco, Texas. Um, those two teams of course did not play any games in Orlando. They were both withdrawn from the tournament because of a, outbreaks of of COVID-19 on their respective rosters. So they're going to have to make up three games um, and they're going to do two of those here in the coming days. The first on Wednesday, uh, geez, help me with the date here, Paul. I believe it'll be Wednesday, August 12th and then Sunday, August 16th, both in Frisco and both with fans in the stands. Um, Although at limited capacity, Texas allows 50%. The sense that I've gotten is that Dallas isn't going to hit that mark. Um, you know, they're not going to allow anything to come close to hitting that mark, even if that was something they wanted to attain. Um, you know, it'll be pretty small, um, but there will be people in the crowd, which just seems, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like, like, why, why are we doing this? Like, what is the point of that? I get that you want to squeeze some revenue and I get that, you know, fans might want to go, but Dallas is an area that's been hit pretty hard by this, um, particularly recently. Um, and even from a financial standpoint, Paul, like it's going to cost a lot of money to open that stadium to fans and to do everything that you need to do to maintain a measure of safety. Um, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sure the juice will be worth the squeeze if they're doing it right. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it, but I can't even imagine they're making that much money off of that. So I don't know the whole thing. That whole thing seems like kind of a mess. I mean, going out of the bubble is going to be difficult enough as is. Um, you know, we've seen it in the Premier League, in the Bundesliga. These leagues are not playing in front of fans. Serie A, you name it, Champions League. They're not playing in front of fans. Um, their countries are much more under control than the U.S. is. I don't know why MLS is pushing its luck here. And, and 
now to be clear, because I don't think we've mentioned this, um, you know, most of the stadiums are not going to be open to fans because of government restrictions. So only where they are allowed will clubs have the option to open them up to fans. I don't even know why MLS is making making that option available. MLB isn't doing that. Yeah, we know um, why. We know why, I, Sam, right? I mean, I mean, we know why. It's I, I money. Do, I do know why. And it's but crazy it, but because it's, just it's not like, that much money, like it's you just said. So, so, it's just, yeah, it's just not that much money. So, like, I don't really know why. It's like, are you that hard up? Are you that greedy? Like, what is it? Like, I, I just don't get why you're playing with fire in that way. Um, I think it's a bad look if, even if it doesn't affect any of the players or the coaches or the clubs, it's like sort of putting people and, and you can say, oh, well, those people are making their own choices. No one's making them go to the game. Yeah, sure. hundred percent. Right. Um, but you're sort of putting people in, I don't want to say a dangerous environment because you are outdoors and if you socially distance, then maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, less dangerous than going to the grocery store, but it just seems unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, if you, if we're being serious about getting, getting things under control in this country, right? If we're really, um, concerned about the community and, uh, and, and trying to get to a place where the MLS season in 2021 looks regular, you know, how can we begin to talk about putting fans in stands right now? I mean, the numbers in this country are not good. They're not getting better. The regulations that we're seeing from government are not getting less restrictive. They're getting more restrictive because the numbers are are going up in, in all of the categories where you don't want them to go up. And, and here's the other thing. You've got all of these other factors that are, are difficult to manage that we've seen in your bubble with the, with the two teams who, by the way, are going to play in this first game in front of fans being the best examples of not being able to control the environment in which you live and you can put in restrictions and it can still lead to positive tests as it did with Dallas and Nashville. And yet you're going to add in another factor that is more difficult to control, which is fans. You're going to add in another factor that makes things that could make things go poorly or that could um, negatively impact your league or your community. Why? Why add in another factor that you have to handle and deal with and figure out the logistics for in the fans. And it's easy to point to stadiums and say, oh, well, they're sitting three seats apart. It's more than six feet. We're trying to have fans go to different entrances, and that can help them stay as socially distanced as possible. But we all know that there are going to be these flashpoints at stadiums where it is going to be a little bit more difficult to stay socially distanced. We know and we've seen in the USL that fans are not staying you know, so A, socially distanced and B, wearing masks, right? We've seen that in the stadiums where fans are taking their masks off and are, are close to each other. And I think that, you know, we're, we're basically rolling the dice, right? You're rolling the dice and hoping that everything goes okay and everyone follows the rules during a time when it's very clear that not everyone in this country is following the rules, and I don't understand why it's worth the risk. Why is it so necessary to to get that money from this from the tickets that isn't going to be season changing money? It isn't going to recover as much of the revenue that lost as you really as as would be even approaching worth the risk to the community. And it's not like these stadiums. Maybe Frisco is is a good example of a stadium that's in the middle of nowhere. 
But when I think about things like Audi Field, you know, when, <laughs> it's you, not. when you think about things like Audi Field that are that are inside of communities, right? You're having thousands of people showing up to a community, walking through the streets to get to a stadium that are exposing people who are just living there, who are just living in that neighborhood and trying to do right. their best to to avoid hotspots and trouble areas. And you're bringing one to their neighborhood. And how is that safe? So, I mean, it just is frustrating because it feels so it's, darn I mean, irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like maybe nothing happens, um, but you're taking unnecessary risks in a time when, you know, that that's sort of been the story of our country here for a few months now is taking unnecessary risks. Um, but in terms of the ranking of how necessary some of those risks are, attending an MLS game is pretty far down that list. Um, you know, it's just not something that needs to be done. You know, I, I, I didn't want to gloss over this earlier and I, and I did, um, in the, you know, is, was the tournament worth it question? Like the tournament saved jobs around MLS, um, whether or not it needed to or not. Uh, is a different question, right? Whether or not the owners could have floated that, those costs, a different question. But the reality is that it saved jobs and maybe opening the stadium saves jobs too. But it it doesn't need to be like that. I get that these people are running businesses, but it doesn't need to be like that. And especially when you consider the risks involved. So, I, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I think, <laughs> like, this is already going to be hard enough and they're just making it harder on themselves and, you know, we saw it right before Orlando, um, right be- as teams were departing and positive tests were popping up. Um, it's going to be hard to play all these games as scheduled. We've seen it with USL. We've seen it with MLB. And they've had to do postponements and cancellations. That will probably happen in MLS um, if history is any indication. It, it will probably happen. Um, and it's a difficult situation already and you're increasing the degree of degree of difficulty for not much of a payoff. It seems so I don't get it, Paul. I think you don't get it. Um, another thing that's happening right now that we expect to learn more on here shortly is MLS's new playoff format. Another new one. It was originally going to be nine and nine, uh, 18 teams total. Um, you know, there's going to be 18 regular season games after MLS is back. Um, and then 18 teams are going to make the playoffs, nine from each conference. So I was told here over the last few days that that has now, it's changed, um, from nine and nine to 10 teams from the East, um, and eight teams from the West. The reason for that being the East is going to have 14 teams because Nashville is going to be in the East and not the West as they were to start the season, um, due to travel um, reasons. Basically, they want to limit the amount of travel and make it easier for teams to fly in and out on the day of the game. So they're putting Nashville in the East where it's a closer geographic setup for them. Um, and there will only be 12 teams in the West. So they only get eight teams into the playoffs. And then presumably you, you're going to have a, a play in round between seven and 10 and eight and nine out, out in the East. And, the, and they'll play a play in game um, and advance into an, what will then be an eight-team bracket and then single elimination all the way to MLS Cup. What do you make of that whole thing, Paul? That, that to me, is kind of wild, too, to be totally honest, and I think kind of telling, if we're being honest. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately, I think we've we've kind of hit on this point on multiple places in this podcast episode and on the show in general in the last couple of weeks. I mean, money is driving this forward, right? You're trying to 
um, satisfy your TV partners as to a, as high degree as possible. You're trying to help as many owners as possible recover lost revenue. And so playing in these playoff games is a huge part of that, right? Having as many playoff games as you can to be broadcast on national television, having them be single elimination, which we know is exciting, right? We saw that last year in, in when MLS made the switch to single elimination throughout the tournament. And now you have more of your owners, more of your local markets engaged in the playoffs by having so many teams brought into the playoffs. And I actually think, to be honest, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I know it's crazy. It's totally stupid in a way, but this whole year is right. I mean, this season is going to be yeah. <laughs> completely, it's, it's going yeah. to be completely bizarre. And, and it's fine if you have a winner of the, of MLS cup this, this year end up being like a 10 seed from the West. Like the regular season is not going to be a real gauge of who the best team is in the league. Probably because every team is going to have a different schedule. You're going to have Dallas and Nashville playing I mean, each other. It'll three probably times. be. You're going to have the Canadian teams only playing each other through the first six, you know, six games of this um, MLS still here phase of the season. You're going to have you. Everything has to be adjusted for COVID, and so I'm totally fine with them just going like total, total wild, wild west and. I feel really, I don't want to say I feel bad, but it's going to be kind of an <laughs> indictment of the teams that don't make this playoffs. Pretty strong one. Well, speaking of Wild Wild West, a, a topical reference from Paul Tenorio that I'm assuming is not about Wild West, but is about the Will Smith, Kenneth Branagh opus, Wild Wild West. Both of the men in that movie have pretty well-groomed facial hair, which I think is a good way to talk about today's sponsor, Manscaped. They're dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. They have products for all the hairs on your body that you don't necessarily want to think about. Or, in the case of Kenneth Branagh with his weird facial hair, he definitely put a lot of thought into. You could put that much thought into it. You could put little thought into it, but either way, Manscaped makes it easy to deal with any of the body hair you might be trying to groom. And then as I've talked about previously, there's also things like the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit. It's a four-piece nail kit to make sure that your nails are also well-groomed. They're about grooming. They're about looking good and ideally then feeling good. You can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com if you use the code TSS20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS20. Uh, that could be for the Perfect Package 3.0, which features the Lawnmower 3.0. That could be for any of the formulations to round out your manscaping routine, the liquid formulations, I should say. Uh, many products for you to check out, and when you literally check out, you can use that code TSS20 for 20% off. Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Paul and Sam one more time. Oh, yeah. A huge indictment. I mean, can you imagine how crappy that would feel if you don't make the playoffs? <laughs> if you're one of, what, four teams in the West and uh, four teams in the East that don't make it in? Um, I mean, is Atlanta going to make it, Paul? That's my big question. I mean, why, even no. have, <laughs> why even have the, the, the 10 and, and 8? Like, why even cut it? Why not just say everyone makes the playoffs and, like, the bottom half of the bracket has a play-in to get to the top eight. Like, I mean, really, yeah, you're, you're basically just, there. Just do it like a giant tournament, basically, where there's a more elongated group stage and then and then a, a knockout round, like just kind of a much longer beefed up MLS is back. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess you want to have some semblance of a regular season. But yeah, the whole co the competitive aspect, you mentioned it. It's completely out of whack. 
which I'm sort of into like you. I mean, I'm torn between two minds on this discussion where I'm like, no, this needs to be serious and they need to make this as, as, uh, as, as buttoned down and as, as with as much integrity as possible. And then, then on the other hand, I'm like, MLS, it's, it's chaos. It's theater of the absurd. I need the league to lean into that more. Um, and I don't mind if they do so this year, like you mentioned, it's 2020, just let it ride. That's like the motto for the year. Just let it ride, man. Weird stuff's going to happen. And uh, you kind of got to be willing to roll with the absurd. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to go totally crazy. I think if there's one thing I've learned this year, it's that. Um, I, so, I yeah, think that's going to be that's going to be interesting. Sam, I mean, I think there's no league probably as prepared for the the wackiness of competition as there is MLS, which is used to adjusting rules, you know, year by year and it's used to yeah, changing yeah. and adapting to whatever Mid-year. they feel um is important and necessary for the league during the year or or from one year to the next i mean even just through expansion right i mean the fact that there are 26 teams in the league this year the fact that they're willing to just move nashville from one conference to another and then back um and hey you know now we're going to have two expansion teams push back by a year but one is still coming in at the same time and i mean mls this is kind of how they have operated for at least it's the last it's nimble (laughs) yeah it's it's just i mean i don't know it's 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 classic mls you're right it's classic mls it's it is what it is and they have plenty of practice doing things like this i mean how many times has the playoff format changed in the last three four years alone feels like every year um, so <laughs> they have a lot of practice with this stuff. It is, it, it's kind of funny. I don't have a huge issue with it. I know some fans do, and I know they will continue to do so. But like you said, I don't have a huge issue with it. Although, I don't know. I mean, maybe just make it single table, right? Nashville and Dallas, they're doing interconference stuff. Chicago got moved into a different group when, when Dallas with, was withdrawn and they only played Western teams. So it's already kind of a mess. Maybe, maybe just do single table and then you can group kind of some of the central teams. Maybe they should have just done divisions, Paul. Maybe just do three divisions. I don't know. They're probably headed there anyway with 30 teams in the league. It's hard to do two conferences. Maybe you do three divisions of three and do a little precursor of, uh, or three divisions of 10 down the road and maybe do a precursor of that this year. I don't know. We're bouncing weird ideas off the wall. Um, but <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's a terrible one, but anyway, it doesn't matter that they're not picking it up this year. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I just think it's, you know, for me, the, the, the wildness of it all is, is somewhat necessary. I mean, they're just trying to do what they can to have a season. Um, but, and I'm okay with it. Like, like I said, like, it's fine. I just think it's, what I'm not okay with ultimately is going back to what we were discussing before. Why are we doing this in front of fans? Why is that necessary already? Like we're, we're discussing this, the wildness of it, like they, how they should schedule these games, what the playoffs should look like, how long this season lasts. How do you bring Canadian teams South of the border? Do they have to come to an agreement to live in a separate bubble again in in New York or in Portland, as you've reported Vancouver's looking at or Toronto and Montreal are looking at, um, all of these different things that they have to figure out and, and measure and decide and, um, you know, get the playoff format right so that it doesn't look totally silly, but also embrace the fact that it has to be a little bit crazy. And, and then they're like, oh, let's also throw into the mix. We're going to put fans in the stands at, you know, X percent of stadiums around the country. It, it just, I mean, one is too many. It's what just ridiculous. Is. But 
Yeah, that's what that's what this league, you know, that that's what this league is about. And I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll be criticized for for even deigning to uh, to say that that putting fans in the stands is is not a great idea. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Ho- hopefully not. But we'll see. You're probably right. It'll probably ruffle some feathers um, before we wrap this thing up. Paul, any any players that you wanted to shout out, any coaches that you wanted to shout out um, from what is if we're if we're being real, not really a representative sample um, of games in Orlando, but a sample of games all the, nonetheless. Any, anyone you think deserves a little bit of love that we haven't already mentioned on this show now that the tournament is down to the final? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's a, I, I, look, I think we've learned a lot about Philadelphia Union in this tournament. I know that we talked about them a lot, but I do think that they are, legit at a different level than I expected. Like last year, I was kind of felt the same way about them that I feel about maybe Minnesota or Orlando right now. It's like, okay, they're good, Mm -hmm. but you know, how good are they? After this tournament, I feel like they have a really strong sense of identity. They know how they want to play. Jim Curtin, I think has established himself as a really good MLS coach. Um, and it's crazy to say that he was on the hot seat a couple years ago. Um, from a player, he was like perpetually on the hot seat. Yeah, like one year contract, year after year. Yeah, no doubt. I think Pereira with Orlando City has really done well in this tournament, um, and and made it, made himself into a name that I think we should all watch going forward. Um, I, I know that's that's one guy that we've mentioned on this show multiple times, um, and I actually think Hassani Dotson is another guy I want to shout out from tonight's game. Playing right back against Nani, not an easy task. Tough for, first half. Yeah, tough, tough first, first half for the kid. First. I mean, he's he's a central midfielder playing right back. Went to college. No one knew his name. Got drafted in the Super Draft. And, you know, I think he's turned himself into a really useful MLS player. And sometimes it, it hurts you to be to be able to be adjustable and, and go and play different positions and, and to do so at a decent level. And, you know, you play against a guy like Nani and you get exposed as not being a right back, you know, pretty quickly. Um, but I, I do think he's a player that, you know, I think is is better than a lot of people realize. And I think should be, you know, obviously he's been a part of the U.S. Olympic team. So I guess then, you oh, know, okay. there are people. Are you going to say it? No, I just think I just think that like for the same amount of people that are shouting out Chris <laughs> Mueller and stuff like that. Like I think Hassani Dotson's done a pretty good job. Um, being an important starting level player for an MLS. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's a nice piece for sure. Um, I actually like his his left back uh, counterpart, Chase Gasper. I think he's done similar things. Uh, also coming out of college, um, again, a domestic guy, a young guy who you can plug in at a spot where most teams don't want to spend money, left back. And uh, and, and get a good consistent performance out of. So I like him in that spot. Um, you mentioned Philly, you know, there was a ton of talk about Brendan Aronson. I think it's pretty clear that the kid has talent. He's, he's kind of got something that you don't see, um, from a lot of American players. Um, and I think that's exciting and I would not be surprised at all if he gets sold here very soon. Um, so I think that will be one thing to keep an eye on. Certainly, uh, Portland, Jeremy Abobasi, I believe he has four goals in this tournament. Um, he's not always the most involved in build-up play, but turning into a really solid finisher. Um, 
I've been critical of the Timbers and their style of play, but it seems like it works in tournaments. That's for sure. Um, so kind of buy, beware if you're if you're coming up against Gio Savarese. He's had a lot of success in knockout competitions with the Timbers um, in in his short time there. So that's that's one that I wanted to shout out as well. I'm trying to think of of other guys that that I need to shout out. Um, Thomas Hassel. How about that? Vancouver Whitecaps third string goalie coming in and having a big performance for them uh in 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 their final game against Kansas City. Matt Pence wrote a really nice article about him. Spoke to him um that ran on the Athletic earlier on Thursday. You guys should go check that out. Um there are others that I'm forgetting. Um one that I'm particularly excited though to watch uh for the rest of this season and then going forward is AO Akinola with Toronto. Um Really curious to see what kind of role he grows into as Josie Altador rounds himself back uh, into full form. Um, and really curious to see if he can kind of build on the success he had in Orlando, where oh, I think he had five goals. Is that right, Paul? Um, so really impressive from the young American, Canadian, and Nigerian tri-national, the rare tri-national. He could suit up for any of those three national teams, which is kind of wild. Um, so one to watch there. I'm curious to see what he looks like going forward. Uh, going forward for this show, uh, I don't think there is much more. Um, but, uh, unless, unless there's anything else that you wanted to add, Paul, I think, uh, I think we can call wraps. Not not much more for this episode. Plenty more to come as MLS still here unfolds. MLS, MLS, you thought we were gone. We're never gone. Um, starting the day after the final, <laughs> no break, no rest, uh, MLS to MLS, um, strength to strength or, or something like that. Anyway, this has been Allocation Disorder. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I am Sam Stasekul. He's Paul Tenorio. Until next time.